Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, Mission Whitetail, episode 43, and we are in the, I guess, the middle to the end of the rut, November 13th, and special guest today, Clint Campbell, Truth from the Stand. Anybody that's been living under a rock may not have heard of your podcast, but it is one of the best whitetail hunting podcasts out there. Um, Clint, you've had well over 400 episodes right man i mean it's it's maybe close to 500 uh well not quite not quite i think i think right now we're at like 360 something 360 okay so, so almost 400 so. um and, and you know you and i've yeah. hooked up on on yours before and and had some good conversations and i, I let, let's start man how did you how, well i tell you what let's start with you just killed a hammer on the ground in kansas mm -hmm. Walk us through that yeah. real quick. Yeah, yeah, man, it was a, a three year journey to do it. Um, I'm because I'm stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, going out to Kansas. Like I just like hunting different places, man. You know, it's like I always try to go to a different state, and it, and then, but once I get something stuck in my craw, it's like I feel like I need to like achieve it before I can kind of move on. You know, so it's like I've been hunting Kansas, like everywhere I could get a tag, you know, basically since the first year that I went there and, um, and the goal for me going there was, you know, I didn't have like a caliber deer in mind or anything like that. It was just more so just like, I want to shoot something that's representative of the species for that area. You know? So in my mind, I was like 140 inch deer, you know, I see something like that that gets me excited. I'm going to shoot it. Um, in the first year I got out there um, and, and the whole point being is I wanted to do it from the ground. I wanted to spot and stock and I wanted to decoy, you know, and, yeah. and do it all from the ground. Yeah. And, uh, um, and so I picked an area, you know, that was, you know, further West because there was fewer trees, you know, that way I wasn't enticed necessarily like to, to give up and get into a tree. Cause there just aren't very many for me to get into. And, uh, the first year I had some really good encounters. Um, you know, the, I think the first day I was there, I was at 60 yards, like 160 inch deer on the ground and, um, uh, couldn't get that done. And then the second year, or actually the first year I had another opportunity at one that was probably like in the forties or fifties. Um, I was at full draw on that one and just couldn't, couldn't seal the deal. He ended up winding me at the end. And then the second year I went back, uh, last year, um, I had an encounter with a real big deer. I didn't know how big, I'll tell you how big he was like after this. Cause I realized how big he was after I shot the deer I shot this year. And, uh, the, um, I saw him on like the second day and, um, kind of, you know, played cat and mouse with him for a few days and he locked down with a doe. And so I ended up drawing on like 140 inch deer and got busted like in the middle of that hunt or the middle of that trip. And then I got back on that big deer on the very last day of the hunt. And I was at 20 yards of it with him for like 10 minutes. Um, I just didn't have enough light to shoot him, but I could see him and he was snort wheezing at me all carrying on and shit like that. And, um, and it was wild, man, being that close to, a, you know, a big animal, you know, or a, a mature buck, 
you know, having him carry on. He because he couldn't see me. I was coming up out of this dark draw, and he thought that I was another buck coming into his doe, essentially. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and we just happened to get to the same place at the same time. Like I came into the dark to set up, you know, way early, and he was already there. And which I would have never guessed in a million years we'd show up at the same place at the same time, you know, me trying to kill him, you know. Sure. Um, and then you know, once I got a little bit of light, like he walked out of my life and there were some saplings and stuff. I didn't want to risk a shot. Uh, I couldn't see the saplings, but I could see him and I just didn't want to wound something or, you know, and, and have something go bad. Um, so I just left him walk, which was hard to do. Cause that was by far the biggest animal, you know, biggest deer I'd ever been close to. So that was in this one particular draw. And it was a couple years, you know, I had hunted it at the very end of the hunt. The first year I was out there for like three days and kind of learned and did a lot of glassing and watching what the deer were doing. So the second year, I kind of spent a lot of time in that general area. And that's how I got on that big deer right away. Um, and so going back this year, it's like, I kind of know what their game is. It's just like that spot, that particular spot. It's like, I'm in the action all the time. It's just, I can't the first, like, or I guess those three days of that first year, then last year, I just couldn't figure out how to get them killed there because it's like they're where they're at. It's like, there's not really any cover. There's, it's all a bunch like a little locust grove um, sure. with some saplings and just like, you know, there's not a lot of CRP gen like in that particular spot. That's tall enough for me to really like hide in. And I'm, I'm like, I wear a ghillie jacket and stuff like that, you know, whatever I'm out there. And, um, and so kind of screwed the pooch, you know, I was set up the right place. I just couldn't figure out how to get him killed. So I go back this year and I went into the same kind of area <clears throat> and had, couple younger bucks kind of come in decoyed a couple like younger bucks in and then the first night that i was there the wind was wrong to hunt this one general area and so i kind of went to this other spot and where i had drawn on that 140 inch deer the year before and when i set up there the wind was kind of getting funky on me and so i i, I had to move and i was kind of bummed that i had to move because i was like eh, I'm, the spot that i'm kind of moving to i was like i don't really expect that i'm going to kill I was like, maybe I will. But the benefit was, was that I could actually see where I had been hunting and where I was planning to hunt like the next day. Gotcha. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll just glass, you know, and if I get an opportunity here, great. If not, I'm just going to spend some time behind the glass. And I glassed it pretty much the whole evening. A couple of does came around me. Um, and then right at just about last light, you know, um, I saw a couple of deer come out of this like CRP. Uh, there's a bunch of, there's a quagmire of CRP on the backside of this thing. And it's just like, I don't know, probably 200 acres of CRP. And I know, I know they're bedded in there and I've spent time trying to pick that thing apart and I just cannot see them in there. There's a couple little, like, I won't even call them draws. They're more just like impressions that kind of run down. I mean, they're technically, they would, they would be a draw, but it's like a super, super shallow draw. And I expected that they were probably in those and I just couldn't ever pick them out. And so I'm watching and just as last light comes, I see a, like two deer pop out and I'm kind of watching them. And then I looked away for a few, cause there was a doe that was kind of coming up, you know, aside uh, on the side of me. I was just making sure there wasn't any bucks with her. And then I went back to look in glass somewhere. And what I did, there was a deer that was out with those two previous deer that was just looked like he, like it was twice the size of the other deer. Yeah. And I was like, dang, I was like that. And I could see this, this is like, I'm like, I'm eight tenths of a mile away. And so I threw the glass up on it and I could just see the body size. I was like, that's a mature deer. Um, I don't know how big, you know, cause it was kind of overcast. So I couldn't see any antlers. And then he ran off another deer and I was like, okay, that's definitely a mature buck. Cause he's even bigger than the buck that he just ran off. 
And I was like, and that was in the general area where I saw that big deer the year before. Right. And so in my mind, I thought it might've been the same. Yeah. Right. In my mind, I thought it might be the same deer, maybe. Um, But if not, I was like, then another mature deer has moved into the area, you know? Um, And I, and I just said to myself, I was like, that deer just got himself killed. He just don't know it yet. I was like, I'll kill him. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I was like, I'll kill him tomorrow night, you know, cause I knew I, right where he came out. I was like, I'm just going to set up at that little corner. So the next morning I hunted that draw, um, down from where I saw him come out and I had uh, a buck that came by with a couple of does. I couldn't, I still couldn't see. So I don't know if it was him or not a uh, big body deer. It was too dark for me to really, I could see it had antlers, but I couldn't really tell how big it was or, you know, what deer it was. Then I had another buck come in on me a little later in the morning. I could see that one. Uh, he was just a young buck. And then, so another deer about 130 yards away, kind of skylined himself probably at about nine o'clock and it was a good buck. And I could, I put some glass on it and I could see it was probably like 130 inch eight point, maybe just a little bit better. Um, and so tickled the antlers together and he took off like a shot, like someone, like he shot him out of a cannon, like he was gone. Yeah. And so that immediately told me, I was like, all right, I'm dealing that other deer has whooped his ass before and sure. I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with a good buck. I don't know. I still don't know what yet, you know what I mean? But I'm like, that deer is scared of the deer that I saw last night. Cause I'm pretty sure that was the deer that got pushed off last night. Cause he came from the same area, mm-hmm. you know? So I went and did some driving in glass in that afternoon, uh, <clears throat> just to see if I could rustle something up for a stock and, uh, got back and set up at around three o'clock and, uh, walked in and it was like this little section that it was a strip of CRP coming out of this brushy draw, uh, that Ridge or that area kind of ran North South and they were coming from the West is what I was kind of, uh, anticipating. Um, and, uh, so I set up, you know, where I saw them kind of come out. The first setup I had was like along this fence row, um, which wasn't, which wasn't great. Like my wind was way better. And that's in that, situation but i didn't feel like i was going to get a shot because i thought i really knew where they were going to pop out there was like this little corner there was a buffer strip of crp there was a cut bean field and in front of the buffer strip of crp there was a there was a i think some winter wheat and they come out that little where everything kind of connects and the wind was kind of like a had a lot of i guess east in it that day um and uh i just felt like i was going to get winded and so i kind of set up a little further back to try to keep it clean to where they could come out and, you know, not win me. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, if they do what they did last night, I was like, I'm never going to kill them. So I, I sat there for probably like to probably like four o'clock and I got up and I was like, and it was only like a 30 yard move. Yeah. And I was like, I'm moving 30 yards. I was like, Cause I don't feel like I'm in the right spot. And I was like, I, my wind is going to be really dicey. If they come out where I think they're going to come out, I'm going to beat them by about 10 yards with my wind. If they come out any lower <laughs> than that, I'm screwed, you know, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, that's whenever the magic happens. It's like, cause they have, they have all the confidence in the world that, you know, they're, that their wind is good or that they're, that they're, whatever's in front of them is good. Yeah. And they can and see so forever. Sit- yeah. They can see. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, you know, so I tucked in underneath this locust tree and, and like had a small cedar tree in front of me and there was two big branches that kind of hung down to my left and it was all open kind of in front of me. And I was anticipating them coming like right kind of across my face right and there was an old fence row the, fir- the fence row that i'd set up in at first and i arranged that and it was like the one old post was like 30 yards that was like you know furthest in front of me 
and then one was 29 and right in between the posts was was 27 yards so i arranged a bunch of stuff around me and i'm sitting there and it's getting on toward like 5 15 and i haven't seen anything yet and i'm thinking to myself i'm like man i don't know if it's going to happen leading leading up to that like when the sun kind of was getting back over the horizon i mean it was just pounded on me. it was 75 degrees that day it was warm and i was lit up like a christmas tree like i didn't have any cover like if the sun was up i was just like, sure. like i might as well just put like a you know blue kmart special sign on me that i'm sitting there you know <laughs> and uh you know but what i told myself was is i was like they're gonna do what they did last night and the the sun's gonna get behind the horizon and you're gonna be all right you know like just if anything happens before that you're in trouble but if they do what they did last night you're gonna be fine so i was like i'm just gonna have to risk it like for the biscuit, basically, you know, cause sure. I'm at the right spot. Yeah. I just need the, I just need the timing to work out. And so the sun dips down and I feel a lot better about my setup because now it's like, I've got some, I've got some shadows and stuff to kind of play with and, and, and a little bit more hidden. And so for whatever reason, like an idiot, like, you know, the time frame's kind of rolling around and I kind of turned all the way like to in front of me. Cause I was like, Oh man, maybe you're not coming out tonight. So I started glassing the other side, like that, what was in front of me. Cause I could see about a mile. So I'm glassing over there and it's probably getting close to like 520 or so. And I just happened to catch movement out of like my peripheral. And I looked over to my left and there's a doe standing there like seven yards. She's oh, behind that the, the cedar tree. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm like, and I'm like, shit. I'm like, I didn't, you know, I wish I would have saw her coming that way I could get turned or whatever. And so I'm watching her and she's starting to mill out in front of me a little bit and i'm like man she gets too far over to the right i was like i'm gonna be in some trouble because i don't have any cover there right and i was like i need to start to look to see what else is going on so while she's behind that tree i start like doing the slow like real slow turn you know like oh yeah <laughs> trying to look like in the back we've of your been head, there you know? yes yeah and so i got my head turned a little bit and i could see there was another doe with her and that's when i knew it was them. like i hadn't seen him yet but i was like he was with two does coming from that area that's got to be them. I was like, he's behind the second one. I know it. I was like, I got to get turned. And so I started trying to get turned a little bit. I didn't have like much wind at all. I mean, I had enough wind to play some wind, but I didn't have any wind for cover sound or anything like that. And so I start trying to move and the first doe catches a little bit of movement. She doesn't know what it is. She just does like the whole, like, Hey, what's going on in there? You know, like starts, starts peckering around. Yeah. And, uh, I'm like, just, just be cool. And I, and I got turned just enough to where I could look a little further back and I looked further back and I saw him coming through that cut bean field and, and I saw his rack and I was like, I didn't really realize how big he was at the moment. I just remember saying to myself, that's a shooter. You're going to kill him. You know, yeah. I was like, I just got to figure out how to get turned without blowing this whole thing up. And so like, I didn't really get buck fever, but like, man, my heart rate jumped. And I remember like thinking to myself, you know, cause it's the biggest deer I'd ever seen. Like, you know, well, not the biggest deer I've ever seen on the hoof, but it's the biggest deer I was ever going to have a real opportunity to try to, try to kill, you know? Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, like thinking to myself, like, dude, you're starting to come unglued, like heart rates jumping, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. and I just, and this is like, I credit, like, oddly enough, I credit like training jujitsu for like being able to kind of like calm down. Cause that's like a, a, an art where you have to stay in the moment or it gets real bad real quick for you. You know, you have to be present. And so I just said to myself, I was like, just calm down, be present. Don't try to force them to do what you want them to do. Kill him on his terms. He's going to give you a shot. Yeah. Just let him, let him decide his own fate, you know? And so I got turned all the way to the side 
and that doe now is getting a little jiggy. She's not sure what's up. So she kind of runs, not runs, but she starts walking behind me to try to catch my wind. Right. Yeah. And as she does that, she just decides she's going to scamper by me. She doesn't run. She doesn't blow. She doesn't hop. You know, she just jogs past me down that fence row. Well, the second doe that she passed was standing there watching her. And she's like, well, she's uncomfortable. I'm going too. And so she didn't run. She didn't blow. That doe had no clue what was going on. She just walked down that fence row like it was a quick jog. He's now at about 40 yards and he's behind the locust tree that's in front of me. And there's a big ball of crap that's in that locust tree, like a bunch of branches, just gnarly, just mess of stuff. And I can see him standing there. I'm trying to like, I'm like, he's going to follow those does. And so I'm already turned like to, to draw. I was like, I just need him to get his head behind that and commit. And that's when I need to draw. And so he's at about 40 yards. And I'm just watching him. He's licking, he's looking straight at me. Like, yeah trying to see like, what did they see in there? You know? And, uh, I'm in a ghillie jacket. So I felt pretty comfortable that he wasn't going to pick me off. And then he just decided he's like, well, it must be all right. And he went to turn to walk and he got his head behind that stuff. I drew back. He walked past the first post, got in between my mouth, bleeded him. And when I bleeded at him, he, he hit my scent trail at that same time. Cause that's where my scent was blowing. That was like, and I've bleeded deer before where it's like, as soon as you bleed them, they just turn their head real hard and look at you. Like he hit my scent and I bleeded him at the same time. And he spun like he like shot his shoulders toward me. Oh, wow. So what I had originally was, was a, like an easy broadside shot at 27 yards. And I was going to have to shoot from my knees because there was a branch I needed to get under. And it turned from an easy broadside shot to now a really hard quartering two shot. Yep. And I just stayed calm and I put the pin on his left front shoulder. And I remember, I remember like every detail, I just let the pin float, let the pin float, let the pin float and boom, let it rip. He wheeled, ran through the CRP that he was kind of cutting into, um, took like three hops and hit the ground, like face first, hit the ground, jumped up, jumped twice, hit the ground again, jumped up, jumped twice, and then jumped into the CRP and hit the ground again. And I never saw him again. And I'm just like, that's the craziest thing that's ever happened. I was like, what is going on? Like, I like, and so with the way he jumped and ran, I thought to myself, like, cause when I saw the shot Barry, I was like, oh, that's a dead deer. But the way he spun and ran and was falling, I was like, man, did I hit him alone and break his leg? You know? And he jumped into this quagmire CRP and I'm like, I was like, all right, just give it a couple, give it a couple of minutes, see if he gets up, see if you see him again or whatever. So I'm watching. And now it's like, you know, it's getting on close to five 30, you know, it's like sure. last light and like, it's yep. dark, dark at six, you know? And, um, I was like, I need to look at the arrow and see what I'm dealing with before it gets too dark, you know? So I went, cause it was only 27 yards away. So I went out and looked for my arrow, of course, couldn't find it. And I was like, well, I know there'll be a bunch of scuff marks in that cut bean field where he fell. It'll look like a linebacker tackle a quarterback out there. I was yeah. like, so I'll be easy to find like where he went. So I walked out there and as soon as I got out there, I found like a big platch of blood, like the size of my hands and another one, then another one. But I couldn't tell what it was because that ground's so fine. It just looks like mud, you know, right. it's like, I still can't tell. It's like, is it lung blood? Is it muscle blood? Like, what is it? I got over to the edge of that CRP. He was laying five feet into the, into that CRP and he jumped up boom, oh. like right in front of me. He jumps like three jumps gets like 15 yards away from me. And at that time I was like, okay, he was just laying there. Like he's hurt. I don't know how far he's going to want to go. It's getting dark. He's in this CRP patch. That's like almost chest high. I was like, I'm going to have to get a dog out here. It's going to get warm tomorrow. Like this is a bad situation. So I was like, 
Scrooge is like, I'm killing this deer right now. So I knocked another arrow and I walked in. He jumped up, took two big jumps, got about 10 yards from me and I walked him down. I could see his rack, but I couldn't see his body. And I tried to like guesstimate where his body was and let another arrow rip, shot over his back. He jumped up, took one more jump, hit the ground again. And then I walked him down to like five to seven yards and stuck an arrow in his back ribs while he was laying there. And that was it. Oh my God. So it was just, <laughs> and so I still didn't know what I had shot yet, you know? And so I, I let him expire and I gave it a couple minutes, you know, and then I went up and grabbed him and looked at him. And I was thinking to myself, like, I was like, you know, my, I text my buddies and they're like, how big is he? You know, and one guy calls me and I'm like, I don't know, man. I was like, he's a six by five. It's like a remain frame 10 with like a split G2 on his left. I was like, he's, he's 140 inches or he could be a booner. I was like, I don't know. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, I'm just like all worked up and I got no clue. And so I ended up, you know, filled out my tag and all that stuff. And then I ended up dragging him to like where there was like an opening or whatever to where I could deal with him and stuff like that and marked him and stuff like that though. And Yotes start yipping and I went back to meet my buddies. I, I stood with the deer until my buddies got there and then walked out and got them and brought them back. And as we're walking up, like we're like 60 yards out and a headlamp hits, hits him. Right. Cause they're like, you know, we close. I'm like, yeah, I was like, he's just up here. Like another, like, you know, 60, 70 yards and a headlamp hits him. And my one buddy is like, holy shit and i'm like what <laughs> he's like he's like i can see his rack from here in the dark and i'm like <laughs> i'm like he's like dude he's like that's a big deer and i'm like yeah i was like he's a good buck i was like i don't know what he's gonna score or anything i was like he's a good buck though you know and we get up there and my buddy's just like goodness dude he was like this and then it goes, so we're guesstimating right and yeah. so i i was guessing like 50s you know was my guess yep. And my buddy was like, I don't know, man. He's like, he's in the sixties. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm telling you, I think he is. And I was like, I don't know, man. I was like, I was like, you know, I feel like he's a 50 deer, you know, and which I was tickled with. Like, like of course. You know, I was, yeah, I was stoked ground, you know? yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so the, and the reason why I was guessing that was because the deer I was chasing the year before in that same general area was substantially bigger. Like he had kickers coming off of a bunch of his, a bunch of his tines. He had a bunch of stickers on his bases, just like a freak show. And I gave, I guesstimated that deer, he was probably 70 or yeah. maybe a little bit better. Right. So that was like my, that was kind of like my, my gauge. I was like, I think that deer was in the seventies. I was like, so this deer's probably like 50, you know? And so we get him out and like, we get him to the truck and my buddy's like, dude, he's like, every time I look at this thing, it looks bigger. He was like, you know, so I ended up taking him to the taxidermist and stuff like that. And we, we measured him. He ended up measuring 172, uh, and some change. Man, congratulations. So, that is an awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. So I was, I was stoked. I couldn't believe it. Um, from the ground, you know, accomplished the goal that I set out to, to accomplish. And then, but the kicker was when I took it to the taxidermist, cause I told him, I was like, yeah, I was like, I think he's probably like in the fifties or whatever. And the guy just kind of smiled at me, you know, he's like, ah, buddy. He's like, you know, it's, he's like, he's like, that's cool that you underestimate a lot of guys overestimate. Sure. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. 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 Right. Know? Right. And then, and then after he measured him, he's like, why did you think he was in the fifties? I was like, well, the deer, deer I was on last year, I thought was in the seventies and he was substantially bigger than this. And he was like, describe him to me. And I did. And he kind of showed me a couple mounts he had in there. Cause essentially like for that area, he said deer, like big deer in that area, typically are non-typicals he's like you don't get very many typicals in that area that that get that size of frame without just getting a ton of trash 
Sure. And so he showed me one, and he had one there that actually looked like the deer I was chasing last year. It's not from the same area, so it wasn't the same deer. But I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, that's the frame. He's like, he's like, buddy, you were chasing a, a 190 plus. He's yeah. like, that deer is 195 inches. You know, and that's I was like, oh, holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, Kansas is the bodies are so big, man, and their heads yeah. are so big. It makes the it makes the racks look smaller sometimes than they are. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, that, and that's kind of what that's that's kind of what I was dealing with, where it was like he was just so big overall, you know, that his rack just looked proportional I and mean, it looked big, but it was just like I just wasn't able to gauge. And then, you know, so it, it was awesome to kill him, you know, and, and, um, you know, check that off, you know, doing it from the ground. And then it was kind of cool to realize that like, man, I was chasing a, a giant the year before too, you know, it was like, so, you know, that, that was that is uh, awesome. And, and man, I, I would keep that little spot to yourself. And, uh, I would uh, <laughs> plan on every time I got a tag, I would be right back there that year. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah. I did put a buddy in there cause I was trying to help him get on like that 130 inch deer that was in that general area. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a spot that I'll, I'll always kind of keep on the, in the back pocket. And then I spent a day, um, since I tagged out early and I went to another area that the taxidermist turned me onto two spots. Cause he was like, you like the ground hunt. He's like, you know, not a lot of guys try to chase, you know, these big deer on the ground. He was like, if you dig that, he's like, here are two areas. And he had three deer from that area, um, that he, that he pointed me to, uh, in a different unit. Um, and I went in glass. I didn't see any deer that day, but it just looks right. It's all CRP for the most part. Um, and, uh, he had three deer in there and one scored, like 196 the other one another one scored like 205 and the one was like 220 or something like that that had been brought land in from giant. that area land yeah up. it's just like yeah and i'm like he's like if you like to chase big deer on the ground man he's like i got a spot for you and i was like you know so that was nice of him to to, to do that <laughs> that was very stadium. nice of him <laughs> i yeah. tell guys a yeah. lot of times man a good a good taxidermist can hook you up with some spots um I mean, they they know where the big deer are coming from yeah, exactly. You know, cause you know, it, you know, the area I was in, he said, you know, yeah, there's good deer there. Um, you know, he's like, I get a handful of really good bucks from, from that area. Um, you know, but he was giving me a little history lesson because you know, he'd been there. He's, you know, he also is a farmer, you know, so he's born yeah. and raised in that area. Um, and so he was just kind of giving me a history lesson of like, you know, yeah, he's like, we got some big deer still, but, um, you know, he's like when the commodity prices went up, you know, a lot of people, turned a lot of that crp we used to have where we where we grew just real true giants you know and a lot of them you know he's like and we got a little rid of a lot of the crp to put more corn more soybean you know commodity uh crops in sure he's like and it, he's like and just relatively speaking it's hurt the big deer numbers you know he's like we don't get as many like true giants like we used to um and that's why he pointed me to that spot he's like because that spot he's like lays out like kansas la laid out 25 years ago oh yeah you know, so that's nice. That's awesome, man. Well, congrats again on a great buck. I know uh, we both actually got home from Kansas today, so we're we're a little yeah. over to Iowa uh, for a couple of days. But um, yeah. I appreciate you taking time tonight to to do this. And yeah, man. What one thing I think that's really unique and special about what you've got going on with Truth from the Stand is is you've had the opportunity to interview or do podcast with really the majority of the big buck killers, you know, in, in our circle, if, if you yeah. will, I mean, we, we will never get all of them. You know, I, I try and do the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. 
and so I, I thought with, I mean, what a, what an incredible opportunity for you as a hunter mm -hmm. to talk to a diverse group of guys and hear, you know, how these guys are different, how they're the same, what they do. Um, also, you know, I listened to one of your, your podcasts the other, other night with Bronson Strickland talking about mm -hmm. buck beds and, and some myths that are, that are floating around about, yeah buck beds and so if you don't mind man i'd love to just ask you some questions about what you have learned and kind of cherry picked and and i've got some some uh military buddies they call it knowledge transfer you know they they yeah. um, you know take take little pearls of wisdom from different guys and and they pass knowledge from one guy to another yeah man yeah that was that was really the, the genesis of the podcast was that i wanted to get i just wanted to be better at, at what i was doing you know, and I was like, maybe if I start a podcast, maybe guys will be willing to talk to me, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. as opposed and, and to like it's... trying to just get their, yeah, as opposed to just trying to get their phone number randomly and stuff like that. And that was kind of how it started, um, you know, and, and when I have success, it's usually like, it's, it's not all mine for sure. You know, it's like, you know, there was a couple guys I text after that Kansas hunt that were really kind of instrumental in it coming together. And one was Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline, like sure. texting with him, him talking to me about ground hunting and stuff like that. And just the way that those guys do it is incredible. Um, you know, and so I've learned a ton from him and the other one actually, you know, which was nice. I got a really nice text from him. Um, is actually one of my favorite people to talk to is Eddie Claypool. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he's just, he's been slaying giants since basically I was, since I was two years old, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And so, that's a guy that I've spent some time talking with and texting with and stuff like that, you know, that was just, you know, without sharing, without him sharing a bunch of knowledge with me, you know, for the past couple of years as I've been trying to get this thing done and, you know, on the ground in Kansas, it's like, it wouldn't have happened without the two of them, you know? And so it's for sure. It's like, you know, they gave me the knowledge transfer. So it's like, I'm always happy. Like if, if there's anything that I've picked up along the way, man, it's like, shoot, yes. if I can help someone else, you know, you know, have an awesome hunt sometime, then that's, you know, that's awesome. Yeah, that is. And, and, and so piggybacking on that, let, let's start with, is, is there a trait or something that, that you have found that is synonymous or, or you know, the, the same with, with all these guys, the, the, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you've talked with Cody and Andre and, and mm -hmm. you know, just Eddie and on and on and on with these guys that maybe do it differently. You know, Don mm -hmm. Higgins does it his way. Bobby Worthington does it his way. And, but is there something that you have found that most of these guys all share or, or put at the top of the list with, with yeah. what they do? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple things that pop to mind right away, but the first one is, is just like, is they're, they're detail oriented. Like there's nothing that happens in, in a hunt that they don't see deer or walking through the woods, just on a, on a, maybe they're scouting it, or maybe they're just making a quick run through to grab an SD card or whatever that they're just constantly observing and, and watching. Right. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that has always stood out to me. And they're, they're kind of like undying thirst for knowledge and they'll, and they'll get it from anywhere. Like they don't care where it comes from. It, and this kind of struck me whenever I was talking to Andre, the first time I met him uh, at the Iowa deer classic, we were just BSing about whatever. And um, I can't remember if that was the year after I had hunted Iowa or not. I think it was after I had hunted Iowa and I had killed a buck out there. And 
he was asking me about it and I was telling him about the hunt and, um, and he was just like staring at me, like intently listening. And I just thought it was odd that this guy who's got more big deer on his wall than I'll ever have, you know, was like intently listening to what this guy from Pennsylvania, <laughs> you know, who can't hold a candle to him was saying, you know, and, and he asked me a couple of questions afterwards. It seemed very like uh, benign, mm -hmm. but he doesn't ask benign questions when it comes to deer hunting. Like there was something he was trying to understand, you know? Sure. And so that's like the, that's the one thing is just like how, how inquisitive they are, you know? And then I think the other thing that has always stood out is that they, they each have their own kind of, um, like their own calling card, if you will, that's like the nail in the coffin for them, right? Like whenever they get this thing, like what is the thing that is, uh, you know, it might be, you know, I like football or whatever, right? Watch football. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a uh, fourth down at the three yard line. Like what's your got to have at play? You yeah. know what I mean? And those guys all have kind of like a got to have it piece of information that once they get that, that, that deer's days are numbered, you know? Sure. Um, and it's different for all of them. And like, you just have to figure out what you're comfort, what you're comfortable with and what you need to be, to be aggressive. Right. Um, you know, for example, I was talking to, um, Joe Rentmeester like yep. a couple months ago, I was actually talking to him the other day too. And what struck me as really odd, like, as he and I were talking, I didn't really realize it until like he and I were having this conversation, but every deer that he had killed that he was telling me about, he had a visual, like, not just like a trail camera picture or whatever. Like he literally had a visual of like you know, in Wisconsin, it was either shining a field at night to see if he was in an area or he was set up somewhere to hunt a spot that he was hunting like bucks, but might have an opportunity to see that deer. Right. And so I wouldn't go as far as to call them observation sits because he hunts a lot of kill sits. You know, it's like he doesn't do a lot of observation sits necessarily, but every deer that he killed, he had a visual on him like right before he killed it, you mm -hmm. know, and then the same thing, like you listen to Jared from white tail, uh, adrenaline like in in chancy it's like it's all about the visual for those guys right um you know some guys like for me it's like it's funny because it's like i'm starting to turn like to want the visual but like uh i play a um a longer term game of just like long-term data like i feel way more comfortable being aggressive and i got that from like my buddy chad from the guys from exodus right like whether it's from trail camera or whether it's like watching it in the woods it's that long-term information that you have about an area Right. And so that's some of the stuff that I've seen these guys kind of, um, that all is like kind of similar and then journaling, you know, a lot of them journal, you know, they're yeah. writing stuff down when it's happening so they can go back and, and, and relook at it and rejog their memory from year to year to year. Um, and it helps them not just understand the deer that they're chasing, but also understand the areas that they're hunting, like how they're consistently using topography, how they're consistently using habitat and how they're, consistently using wind what is the what is the constant like wind that i'm seeing deer in a particular area so it's just like it's that level of detail of understanding their surroundings that they all kind of have in common yeah they, they all have a process and it, it's yeah. an obsessive process um yeah. you know you've obviously talked to a lot more big buck killers than i have but it, the, the ones i've talked to they they all are you know if they were in in football they they would be tom brady-esque Right. I mean, th yes. that's how serious they take their daily routine and the process mm -hmm. that, that, that they all have. Um, that they, and they put in a ton of work, a, a ton mm -hmm. of work. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing that struck me too, is that like, cause people, 
I made this mistake early on because you see the guys like, you know, Cody um, or Andre or Dan, you know, um, you know, whoever we're, we're talking about, um, you know, the guys from White Hello Adrenaline, like it, it would be the guys from the hunting public event. It's like, the, it all seems very aggressive, right? Like it's, I'm going to get the deer, right? But, and that was the mistake. That was the mistake I made when I first went out to Kansas. Like the first year I was there, it was like, I was crawling and brawling trying to get up and on a decoy and rattling you know like i was just i was just giving her hell you know um and then i blew a bunch of opportunities chad and i both did and then what i realized was the second year um and what i kind of learned from these guys and when i started like thinking about like all the conversations i'd had with them and stuff like that all these different guys is that they're aggressive but they're actually it's odd that they're patiently aggressive like they are gathering their information and then, and they're biding their time until it's right. And then when it's right, they're not tickling the fringes any longer. They're up in the business. They're up in the spot where they think they're going to kill the deer and it might only get one shot at it. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's the place that they're going to be because everything comes together for that day, you know? Um, and so that was a hard lesson that I had to learn. And, and it's not something that's obvious that you see with them because you just see or hear like the aggressive moves they make. You don't necessarily hear about, you know, the 20 days they spent scouting and hunting prior to that to make to ultimately get to that one day where they make the aggressive move. Yeah. You know, and that's the part that, you know, for me, it was, you know, I had to go through that for, through trial and error and then understood that. And so that's why this year it's like I, I played it cool, you know, and then once I got the piece of intel that I needed, then it was like, I'm going right in like <laughs> it's either going to work or it's not, you know. Um, and I think that's, that, that's a big kind of common, common factor with all those guys too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into some specifics. I got a list here. Let me, uh, let me yeah pull this up. Um, let, let's go through some of the, some of the big topics. Um, and, and let's start with beds, right? Because I think you just had Bronson Strickland on, he did some radio mm -hmm. coloring, um, yep. Guys, if, if you want to hear a detailed, go to Truth from the Stand with uh, Bronson Strickland and you can hear the the, the whole thing. But you've also talked with a lot of hunters that, that have more anecdotal um, mm -hmm. you know, information, what they have learned and seen themselves in the woods. But from a scientific approach, what what is your take on beds, hunting beds and and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not a great, I'm not a great bed hunter. Um, you know, just in general. And I say that in like some people might argue that maybe, you know, I don't hunt a specific bed, I guess is what I'm saying. Like there are some guys like my buddy, Greg Litzinger, the dude will set up on a bed and kill a buck. You know, he's done it in his, in his life where it's like he, he sets up on a bed in a morning and watches that buck J hook back into the bed and then shoots him. You know, I'm not, I can't do that. I have to more so play like bedding areas, you know? And I think that that's the one kind of myth when people think about beds, like, yeah, there are some guys, you know, that can set up on a bed, you know? And even if you talk to Greg about it, you know, or Dan Enfold about it, you know, there's like the, you know, he obviously made bed hunting, you know, really popular. Like he's often set up on a bedding area. Like I know a buck is bedded in this two to three acre piece. Right. And on the, on whatever wind it is, he's likely on this side, that side, or the other side, whatever it happens to be for like the particular wind or whatever the, you know, the mass crop might be, that's kind of holding them in a, in a particular area for that year or, or whatever the case is. Um, so I think it's like, 
unless you're really dialed into like a specific deer hunting, a specific bed is almost like a, like a snowball's chance in hell. Like you're more yeah. likely to do more harm than, than good. Um, I think hunting their exit routes is a much better play for an evening. I think it's safer. I think you don't booger the deer up and I think you have a way better chance of that deer using that exit route to go wherever he wants to go. Cause they typically, when they leave a bed, they're leaving to go to the place that they want to go and they're in their bedding area. So they don't really give too much of a shit about the wind at that point because they're in the place that they are most, that they, they feel most safe. And so they won't, they'll, they'll kind of disregard the wind for that 50, 60, 70 yards until they kind of get out of their comfort zone. Now all of a sudden they're going to use the the wind to their advantage or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's some stuff that I've seen and just like, and picked up from other guys that are, you know, that are, that are bed hunting. Um, but for me, it's, you know, I'm usually just hunting bedding areas and really kind of focusing on, you know, the scrapes that are in and around, in and around those kind of, you know, gnarly kind of, you know, shitty areas that no one else wants to go to, but a buck will want to go to. You know? Right. And, and But I think, the, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. no, no. Go ahead. I, well, I was going to say, you know, w- with that radio collar deal they did, um, and maybe it was the scrape one that you talked with him about, but I, I know I saw a study they did on the on the beds and it was how many different beds did a buck have like 39 oh yeah they use yeah they use way more beds that's the other part too it's like they use way more beds than we think that they do you know the hunter thinks that like on this wind they bed in this bed because they want this wind right reality is is like a coyote could have been in there as they were walking in. So they're not going to bed there today, you know, whatever the case yeah. is. And when they did that study, it was like the consistency that hunters think that these deer bed in these specific areas, like they don't have like a bed or two beds or one bed for each wind. They've got way more beds than you could imagine. Right. And so playing the bed game is, yeah. you know, unless you're real, real dialed is, is just probably not in, in the cards, you know, um, they're just not as consistent as we want them to be or what that we want to believe that they are and not just not cons- as consistent in terms of like the number of beds that they'll use and when they'll use them, but also during the time of year, like we often think like, man, they're consistent in October, like that bed to food, right. Or early season, like for September openers, right. Like I mean, they got that bed to food, you know, they're going to bed in the same spots. And then in the rut, it's like, we all think, you know, uh, the local wisdom is like, man, they're all over the place. Like, you know, they're like, who knows where they're at? Well, the reality is, is like, when you look at the study, they're way less consistent in October, you know, like in that time frame yeah, where everyone they, wants to, yeah, yeah, it's like they bed more consistently in November and, you know, they don't have, you know, I asked Bronson about this when he and I were talking, cause, and we kind of both came to the same assumption. They don't have any data to back it up, but I was like, it makes sense. It's like, because you know, there is a concrete, like specific thing that biologically their body is wanting to do at that time. And so they're betting close to where that can happen. Right. So it's like, they're looking for does. I would, I would put amount of money that matters to me on the fact that like, if you were able to go do radio collar doe groups, doe families in that same area and radio collar deer during the or bucks during the rut, those bucks would be bedded not far outside consistently of those doe bedding areas would sure. be my guess. You know what I mean? And so they're just way more consistent during that time of year. So it's like, if you want to kill a bedded buck, you're better off trying to kill him bedded during the rut than you are during October. Yeah. Right? yeah. Which is which, just which counterintuitive goes, to what most people think. Yeah, com- completely. And, and you know, a, a lot of times, you know, we, 
Bobby and I were hunting out in Kansas together and well, not together, but we were in the same general area and we would meet for dinner at night and obviously texting the whole time. And, you know, once those, once those big bucks and they, they did while we were there, you know, they got with those and what everybody calls the lockdown. And, mm -hmm. you know, when that's going on, they're, they're betting with that doe and they're going to breed her for 48 hours or, or whatever it is. And, and then the, the game then is to catch them between does, right? If, if, mm -hmm. I mean, you may be lucky enough that, that he brings her through an area that, that you're in, but when he gets out and starts searching again, you know, that's, that's a good opportunity to kill him between does. Mm -hmm. But the bed hunting then would be, I mean, just impossible. I mean, mm -hmm. it, I won't say impossible. Nothing is is a hundred percent in white in the whitetail game, but it would be very difficult. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because like I killed that buck in Kansas off of his off of his bedding routine. Yeah. You know, because like, and it wasn't necessarily his. Like, I think the one thing, like. You know, I think the the biggest benefit that I've had in terms of like traveling to hunt is getting to actually watch mature deer because in Pennsylvania, you just don't, don't see enough of them, right, to really kind of learn. And so like going to places like Iowa and Missouri and Kansas, it's like you get to see mature bucks do mature buck things, right? And so because when you watch two, two and three-year-olds during the rut, they're just, they're running crazy. You know what I mean? Like they're chasing, like they're, you're, they're acting like a 20 year old guy would at the bar. That's got a fistful of money buying drinks, right? <laughs> like that's, or, or, that's a, reality, or, a guy, you know? or a guy's been married for 25 years and he gets to go into a bar. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, the one thing that I've learned is like right before they'll go breed those does, you'll have like a 24 to 48 hour window where he's being a gentleman and not pushing or not cutting her out yet. And so, cause I, both years it's like i've watched mature bucks with like anywhere from two to three does that they were just kind of like acting as their bodyguard running off smaller bucks and then and i would see that consistently and that's what got him killed because i saw him with those does and i was like he's gonna go bed with her she's leading the charge like she's leading the party right now like he's not driving the bus she is and she's gonna want to bed consistently and she's gonna want to eat consistently so i played his betting based off of what she wanted you know what i mean and that's what ultimately that's the reason why I killed him. Right. And so if you can find that like window of like where they're courting, they're not really cutting out yet a mature buck, like, and he's played the game, like he ain't going to run all over. Like he's just going to wait till it's time to happen. And then it's going to happen, you know? Um, and so, yeah, he knows, he yeah knows I, mean, I think it's coming. he knows it's coming and he's staying with her because he knows she's going to yep. be coming in any day now. Yep, exactly. And like, and, and to me out there, because there's such a good visual, you know, that to me is like the game, the game to play, you know, as opposed to like the, the running, you know, game and like the chasing aspect of things. Um, but going back to like the betting thing, it's like when you see stuff like that, then, and you talk to Bronson and you look at the collared deer data, it starts to make a lot of sense why they're consistent because doe families bed consistently, mm -hmm. right. During the rut, you know, if they're, if they're, if a mature buck is just following a doe around because she's going to come in well, she's going to bed where she typically beds. Right. And he's going to bed not far, not far off. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And so his betting habits become way more doe family like than, than buck like, if you will. Sure. No, no, that, that, that is absolutely spot on. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. it's, you know, that is an opportunity right then to, to kill one that's quote unquote bedded with the does, if you will, because yeah. he's waiting on her to, um, to, to come in. 
without yeah. a doubt. And it doesn't just work. It wouldn't just work in the plains either. That's where it becomes important. Like, you know, during that time of year, like whether you're hunting timber or whatever, it's like, yeah, be close to where the doe families are betting, not just because you're going to catch cruising bucks, but because if there's a warm doe in there, there's probably a buck that's betting with them somewhere. Sure. Awesome. All right. Yeah. I think we, we, uh, we unraveled some good stuff there. <laughs> All right. Next let's get into, um, scrapes. Yeah. But I, I know you're a, you're a big scrape guy, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me, yeah. and, and, you know, Bronson again, Strickland with the Mississippi state, uh, deer lab, he, he did a big radio study, uh, on bucks. And then they did a trail camera study, right. Where they put a bunch of trail cameras out on scrapes. Mm -hmm what um what what did mm -hmm. you what what have you deciphered on scrapes based on the scientific versus what you hear from the from the big buck killers yeah i mean it kind of that was the one where the study kind of corroborated like i think what we all kind of think about scrapes for the for the most part you know like a lot of them are made at night um the younger deer are hitting them more often during the day the bucks we actually really want to kill hit them least frequently during during daylight hours um but I think what, you know, first off, when I think just me personally, like when I think of hunting scrapes, like I hunt them a lot um, in October, obviously. Um, but I don't hunt just any old scrape or scrape line or whatever. Like usually if I'm going to hunt a scrape, I watch it for like at least two years with trail cameras to see what's happening. And I don't so much hunt the scrape as I hunt the dates. Mm -hmm. um, I'll watch the scrape you know, for two years, maybe even three years when truck cameras on it. And I'm looking for just community scrapes. That's all I want. Like for me to hunt a scrape, it has to be used year round. Like I got to have does and, you know, bucks and velvet, you know, or shed bucks hitting that thing in January, hitting it in March, hitting it in April. Like it's got to be year round use for me to want to hunt it because that tells me a couple things like, you know, I'm a guy that works, you know, regular jobs. So I don't have all the time in the world to spend in the woods. And so I have to take things and kind of like draw inferences from the things that I do know. Right. And so like, for example, if I find a really good scrape and it's hot all year round, I don't have to go find like to, to tell me that there's like four or five things that are coming together in that one spot. The activity of that scrape in the off season tells me that there's four or five things that are all coming together in that one area that is attracting the deer, whether it's like, food, terrain, habitat, you know, tra travel route, whatever it is, like they're congregating at that spot. At that point, I don't really care what the reason is. It's like, I know that they're there. Now I just need to find out or just figure out one reason that they get there and how they get there to, to hunt it effectively. Right. Yeah. And so I really focus on, on dates at that point to know that like, Hey, this one pops off in this three-day window, this one pops off in this three-day window. And if you find a lot of these community scrapes, a lot of times, you know, and talking with Bronson, like these are a lot of times outside of and adjacent to doe bedding, right? Because does actually are hitting scrapes more frequently than than uh, than bucks do, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm rem rem remembering the study correctly. Um, but the other thing is too is like you'd be surprised as to how many bucks actually are hitting scrapes, like how many different bucks. It's not like you got a scrape in an area like oh that buck's hitting that scrape every day. It's like nah, man, there's probably like twelve of them hitting it <laughs> yeah you yeah, know yeah. what i, mean? I like, saw seven i saw seven bucks yeah. hit one straight three days ago i mean it's it's unbelievable yeah. yeah yeah and so in the off season a lot of times like what i see on those community scrapes is that there'll be a lot of doe activity right and then the buck activity kind of kind of ramps up um you know so 
what we kind of talked about and what, you know, it kind of, I guess, confirmed is that those older age class bucks, because he doesn't know this, they can only see what was in the camera, right? And so, you know, when we were talking about mature deer, the older they got, the less likely they were to hit that thing in daylight. And it was almost, I want to say something like 80 or 90%, like all nocturnal, right? So not during hunting hours. And so we both kind of talked about, you know, what is the likelihood that those bucks are still in the area and they're just scent checking that scrape from a distance, right? And that's where, you know, um, Nathan Keelan comes to mind, right? That's kind of how he hunts scrapes or hunts sign in general, you know, just to put a guy out there, you know, a name out there that like kills big deer, trad equipment in the mountains of Virginia. And, you know, when I talk to him, it's like, and he finds like big rubs or big scrapes, like he's rarely hunting on the sign. He's typically hunting like the faint travel route that you might find that is like 60 yards downwind of said sign. Right. Yeah. And so for those mature deer, it becomes less important about the scrape. Like that scrape is kind of like the center of the spider web. And then like the huntable stuff is the stuff that's like 50 to 60 yards off of that. Like what is the thing that's going to push them or that they're going to come through or have to navigate around in order to kind of scent check that scrape. Right. And so that was kind of really my biggest takeaway from like our conversation was that hunting in a scrape. Yeah. can be, you know, effective, like hunting right over John Eberhardt. Like I read one of his books. That was kind of like what changed my world in terms of like hunting scrapes. And so he hunts right on top of them. I most of the time do too. But then you talk to guys like Nathan Killen and they're hunting 50, 60 yards off of it, right? Because they're trying to find that the most mature deer that's going to check that scrape, he's likely not going to walk to it, you know? And so those are just a couple of things that I picked up, like that was, um, that we had that was kind of anecdotal and yep. that some of the data was like supporting or at least not debunking, you know, sure. to where it's like, they can't tell because they don't have cameras to see what didn't hit it, of course, Right to know what's in the area behind it or whatever, but thinking about how big bucks like to move and that you often will find like faint travel trails and stuff like that in those general areas that aren't being used as often. You know, a lot of times that's where your, your more mature deer are going to spend time. And there was a, there, there was an example that I had in Ohio um, where there was a big community scrape and we had a, we had a, a 200 inch deer on camera on that, on that scrape, like two different years. Um, actually my buddy had an encounter with him. Um, and was actually at full draw on him and couldn't get the, couldn't get the arrow off the string. Oh. And um, yeah. And, uh, but uh, we ended up scouting that area the next year, kind of, you know, looking for sheds and stuff. I got to see if we could find that deer sheds. And um, I mean, this scrape is like the size of my desk, you know, it was just like a big, big scrape. And we scouted all around and we were coming up the side of this Ridge and we're kind of side hilling. And uh I was kind of up in up in front of the guys or whatever, and we're walking up, and I get to this area, and I'm like, "Holy smokes, man!" I'm like, "There's a huge bed here, right?" And we're kind of looking at it. it's rubbed down to the dirt, and it's like got like a like little, not an embankment. There's not a log behind it, but it's like it's been used so often. It's kind of like a little flat spot on the side hill where he it's kind of like dug into the ground a little bit, and it's obvious it gets used a ton, right? Um, and I was looking at it, and I'm kind of like, "Well, man, it's pretty open, but it's also three quarters of the way up the side of the ridge. Like it's classic kind of like." military crest or like the thermal tunnel that would be like on the ridge line there yep and i'm sitting there looking at my map and it just dawned on me as i was looking at my map i was like man we are literally 60 yards below that scrape i was like 
that buck can lay here all day and scent check every doe that walks by it. You of know course. what I mean? And scent check any, anything that ever hits it, you know, and never have to chase anything. Yeah. And that was really kind of like that whenever I talked to Bronson, like I remembered that experience and I was like, okay, this makes a lot more sense. And then last year in the community script that I hunt in around the 15th, 16th, 17th ish time frame. I had like my target deer walk in and bed 40 yards downwind of the scrape. And I never got a shot at him. He's, he's, he stayed in the cover and just bedded there and sent check that scrape from 40 yards. And I watched him lay there for two hours and then he oh, just got up and walked away. How about that? You know? And so that was like the light bulb went off where it was like, yeah, the deer you really want to kill probably aren't going to come to the scrape. They're just hanging out just, just off of it, you know? And so that like 40 to 60 yard range off of that sign feels like that's probably the right thing like whatever that pinch or whatever that habitat kind of pinch down or whatever it is that like makes them go there directs them there like that's that's really the spot within the spot it's probably not the scrape yeah yep good stuff man all right i think we got time for one more let's cool. see here all right um now i've got a bunch more but um i know we're closing in on an hour here you got stuff to do and um, all right. Last one. And maybe we can do this like a, a part two later on. If you, if you got time, we, we can do another yeah, one man. and just pick, pick right up on the questions. Um, best time of year to kill a mature buck. What have you, um, you like that one or, or we could do another one. We could talk weather. We could talk, lo well, we kind of did hit location. Um, let's see. Let, let's go let's go with that best time of year what what do you what what do you think because i know a lot of our listeners are like man. man should i put all my eggs into early season late season rut pre-rut you know i talk to guys oh i'm a terrible rut hunter i don't know how to do it they're all over the place what yep. you know talking with all these guys what what would you say is the best time of year to do it so so my advice would be to not listen to any of them and this is an odd answer because everyone finds success at different times. You're based on the, what the tactics and strategies are most comfortable with. So whatever it is that you do really, really well, whatever time of the season that applies to, that's when your best opportunity to kill a mature buck is going to be right. So, Good. you know, and it's also, you know, conditional as well, right? Like if you, if you don't have a lot of crops early season, you know, destination food sources, probably going to be really hard for you to play that early season game. You know yep. I mean? If you don't have a lot of great late season food, you know, or thermal cover, probably going to be really hard for you to play that late season game. Right. Um, you know, for me personally, what I've found is that, you know, hunting in and around scrapes and, and focusing on dates has been probably the best for me for, for consistently kind of like getting the encounters I want to have with mature deer to have an opportunity to kill them. Right. Um, and now that's, that's at home where I have, you know, more Intel when I'm traveling, it's usually, it's usually the rut. Cause I'm usually going places where I've never scouted, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, Kansas, notwithstanding, cause I've been there a couple of years. Um, but usually I'm showing up blind for the first time. And so I'm using that like deer being willing to move a little bit more to be able to get the visual. So I kind of can, I can increase the, the rate that I'm picking up the Intel. Yep. Right. And so but when I say like, don't listen to anybody, it's like, you know, all the guys out there that provide information, you know, are, you know, doing a good job as far as like giving people kind of tips and tricks and things that have worked for them. But 
it doesn't mean much if it doesn't work for you or if it doesn't apply to your situation. So you kind of have to take everything everybody says with a grain of salt and figure out what parts of it actually work for you. You know, there are things, you know, like I follow Dan, you know, and I, I, the, the hunting beast really is kind of like what helped me kind of get over the hump early on as far as like understanding how to be a better hunter. But everything Dan does, I, I, I don't necessarily do. Like there's elements that I use that I've learned from Dan. There's elements that I use that I've picked up from John Eberhardt. There's stuff that I use from Jared Scheffler and those guys. And so, you know, you just kind of come up with your own style based on things that work for you. And so there's some things that work for me in early season, but if I don't have certain things early season, it really isn't going to work for me, you know? So I spend that, that time scouting, you know, yeah. it's like, I'll maybe go do some sits, but like, I just spend time in the woods watching, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's probably my advice is that, you know, I don't know if there's any one best time in general. I think there's whatever time your skill set works the best for is the time that you, that you'll probably kill mature deer. Yeah. And if, 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 you know, if, if you've got the food early, you know, you can do that. If you've got the rut funnel, there's no reason to get in there September 1st, just wait until the weather's right in October, 1st of November and get that funnel and kill then. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think it's good to have skill set in in every season. You know, it, it is is follow a guy this 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 really successful late season, see how he does it. Follow a guy that you know gets in with that hot yeah. weather and kills them early, and then you know like a a Bobby Worthington that, that is a killer during the rut, and he's a rut funnel machine. Yeah. You know, follow what he does then, and 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 again, you know, circling all the way back to what we talked about, you know, knowledge transfer. Um, you, you know that that's it. Is is you get this knowledge, you polish it, and you make it your own right you you, yeah. you learn from guys and and uh you know we, we were we were kind of talking about that the other day if there, there's so much information out there um and coming from you know reliable sources unreliable sources frauds if you will um there there's so much stuff mm -hmm. out there it's important i think to whatever you want to do like like the caliber deer you want to kill you whoever you're listening to needs to have done that right if yeah. you know if, if if you're wanting to hunt early season and kill booners then you need to look up a guy that that is you know a kentucky type guy that can can start early and kills a bunch of velvet yeah. booners i mean it it yeah. sounds simple and, and like common sense but man you you hear a lot of crazy stuff out there and and so that i mean you you know, th th that's my my thing is that whoever you're listening to needs to have done i mean you, you don't need to listen to don higgins about setting up a illinois farm if you're hunting in south carolina right i mean that, that, that's just absolutely right. <laughs> you know it, it's pointless i mean you right. know the way he hunts in illinois is completely different from the way you're going to hunt in pennsylvania or bobby's going to hunt in the mountains of kentucky or i'm going to hunt here in south carolina so yeah I, and I I was just going to say, and I think the thing is too, is like, you know, you need to be realistic with like the time that you have, right. Cause time kills deer. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like, there's no magic eraser for that. You know, it's, I was, remember I was talking to Zach from the hunting public the one day we were, we were chatting and, uh, and we were talking about this because I was like, I think guys get like worked up that like they, if they work a normal job and they can only get out like a week, a year or something like that, you know what I mean? Or what, whatever it is. And they use some vacation time. Like it's not realistic necessarily that they think that like, I'm going to kill deer every year or maybe like a, a mature deer, maybe they can kill a deer, whatever, whatever it happens to be. 
and he gave it some perspective. He was like, look, I do this for a living. Not me, but Zach was saying this. He's like, you know, I do this for a living. He's like, you know, between being behind the bow, a gun or the camera this year, he's like, I was in the field a hundred days during whitetail season. He said, I was part of two kills. Yeah. Yeah. Two percent. Yeah. You know what I mean? So just like for some perspective, you know what I mean? So like thinking about that, it's like, it might take you two years or three years to get to the point where you know enough about the spot that you're hunting to really feel like you're in the game. You got to give yourself, especially if you're dealing with like very short time, you know, like five, six, seven, eight days, whatever it is that you have to take, to take off. Right. Cause they're not always going to fall on the best weather days and, and things like that. You know, um, like I'll just use me as an example. There's, the spot that I killed my PA buck this year. And then the spot in Kansas, both of them have been a three-year journey of like finding the spot, learning it, getting long-term data on the spot, the kayak in spot that I killed in PA and three years of screwing up on the ground hunts, trying to learn how to hunt on the ground. Cause I've never hunted on the ground before. It took me three seasons to figure it out. But this year I've filled two tags and I've hunted five days. Yeah. That's awesome. You know what I mean? So yeah. yeah. It's like, but it was, you know, so people would look at me and go like, dude, you filled two tags in five days. It's like, yeah, man. But I spent like weeks, you know what I mean? I've spent 16, like close to 20 days in Kansas, like but in, right. over the past three years, you know what I mean? Or, or maybe even more than that. Yeah. You know, and then all the time scouting, running cameras on the spot that I killed, you know, in PA this year, you know? And so you got to be realistic with yourself too. And the best advice I ever got was it was starting to stress me out a little bit was actually from my buddy, Tony Peterson. And he just said, dude, just go hunt deer. Yeah. Just go hunt deer and have fun. Yeah. So last year I just, I went into a spot and I shot a doe and a kayak her out. And it was the best hunt I had that, that whole year. It was the most fun I had. And I almost feel like it set things at the right kind of like the right barometer for me to where I could actually relax and just really hunt free, you know? And that's what I did this year. And I've, I've had the best year that I've had. And it's supposed to be fun, right? That that's that's yeah. why we do it. I mean, I, you, you you turn on social media and, and guys, you know, grinding and and uh, burnout and and uh, man, this is what we love to do. It's got to be fun. Don't burn yourself out. It's all right not to yeah. sit all day during the rut. You know, take a that's day, it, man. Yeah, yeah. goodness, I, I'm glad someone says that, man, because I'm the same way. It's like I tell people, I'm like, look. I'm not one of these guys that says I can do it 365, 24, seven, 365 a year. I, I was like, I can't, you know what I mean? I was like, when I go on a hunting trip, you know, if I'm doing like a two week trip, I was like, I've got probably like a solid five days in me of like getting after it. I was like, then I need to, I need to take a day, you know, I was like, cause I start to make mistakes. Sure. You know, I was like, cause I've been, I've been there where I've tried to push through. I've done like 10 days of dark to darks. And like, when I got to day seven, eight, nine, it's getting sloppy. You know what I mean? Right. I was like, and I wasn't doing myself any favors, you know? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it you know, it, it is fun to go after them hard. And, it, you know, mm -hmm. you get the opportunity, especially, you know, being a South Carolina boy or a PA boy, getting to go to Kansas, getting to go to Illinois, getting to go to Iowa, Missouri. Yeah. You know, I'm sure I'm leaving off some. But, you know, for, for us to have that opportunity, you want to go hard. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, you, you get that day where it gets up to 70 first week of November, it's all right to take midday off. It's all right, you, you know, you, because you do need to stay sharp. Dude, I, I can't count how many times I've fell asleep, like just like curled up under a tree. Like I've done it in Kansas where it's like I've just I've been sitting there and I'm like, I'm take a nap, you know, yep. <laughs> lay down. Yep. 
that's right like mouth open catching flies for like an hour you know it's like <laughs> gotta do it recharge that's like, right man i ain't too i ain't too proud man it's like because i want to enjoy i want to just enjoy the whole experience man like that's like at this point now it's like what i'm what i'm in it for is the experience you know that's that's what i want to do it for and i know we're off topic but you know that's like i think people when they go you'd be surprised again not to talk about my buddy tony again but he just said to me he's like he said to me he's like when you start just deer hunting again he's like and having fun he's like you'll be surprised how how uh how quick like big deer start hitting the ground and like and i literally thought of him this year like when i was in kansas like when he like i was like my god was he right you know yeah. i was like i kind of stopped giving two squirts and just having fun you know i was like and then all of a sudden tags start getting filled there you know what is. I mean? I was like, it's so, you know, if nothing else, man, just people just have a good time and it, yeah. it'll, it'll happen. It's a heck of a, it's a heck of a deal chasing these big deer. No doubt about it. It sure is, man. Sure is. Awesome. Well, but brother, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, get you some rest. I know we will be, uh, hitting it again this weekend. So we got to recharge everything and then I'm going to hunt here at home for a while. And then maybe, maybe do something up in Ohio before this gun season comes in. But, um, how about you? Nice. You got, you going to, I've got some, uh, I got a couple of doe tags. I'll end up filling. Uh, I almost stopped through Missouri on my way home. Cause I got a spot. I got a score to settle in Missouri. I hit one a couple years ago that got away from me and I saw a couple giants and i got a couple good buddies that are there that actually know that area that um he's he killed a slammer he killed like a 180 and some change this year and so he actually texted me afterwards he's like hey man he's like are you gonna stop through missouri since you uh tagged out early yeah and, uh, and uh, i kind of floated it by the wife and she's like uh you're not bringing any more deer home That's <laughs> she's, like, she's like freezer's full son <laughs> yes i understand <laughs> good deal uh, man well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll do a we'll do a part two when, when we both get some time. And uh, everybody, Truth from the Stand, Clint Campbell, awesome podcast. I highly encourage. I mean, just from a super educational point, in my opinion, one of the best podcasts out there for us whitetail hunters. So y'all check it all out.